Welcome to another episode of Many Moons Ago, a podcast by DU History. I'm Megan, the Society's Social Media Officer. I'm Oshin, a first year rep. And today's episode is a club episode, and we are joined this week by DU Gamers. Uh, hello, I'm Connor, DU Gamers Secretary. And I am Tara, the War Games Officer. So this week we're going to be chatting a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons. So a little bit of literary history, satanic panic, and basically how history and outside influence has popped up in the game across the years. Um, But before we get too much into it, uh, I think we should go over what exactly D&D is for anyone who might not know. So take it away. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, commonly abbreviated to D&D, is a tabletop role-playing game, uh, typically a group of friends. Each person has a character they have designed themselves, whether it's like a wizard or a fighter or a rogue or some crazy mix of all of the above. And it's basically a kind of collaborative storytelling uh, game. Uh, There's your character's sheets, uh, rules to kind of follow, dice to roll to determine whether you succeed or fail at different things, uh, all kind of run by a member of the group, the Dungeon Master DM, uh, who controls the wider worlds that your characters kind of inhabit. Okay, uh, yeah, and like as we're going, you know, if there's something that pops up, we will make sure to clarify what it is so nobody is completely lost. Um, we talked a little bit about um, what we were going to talk about today before recording and um, we sort of agreed on like the starting point of satanic panic I think it's what a lot of people probably know D&D from as a starting point um, and Oshin you had done a little bit of looking up about that so yeah so it's important to put it in uh, like the context that was happening around this time so uh, there, there was a lot of of moral panics about uh, music and subliminal messages in music. And so uh, Dungeons & Dragons also got caught up in this. So it, it, it kind of starts slowly. Uh, there's a few teenagers and students who um, either die or go missing, and then it gets blamed on the fact that they played Dungeons & Dragons in local news. And eventually, stuff like this starts to spread to national news. There's a very high profile case that was all over the news about uh, a student went missing and the private detective that was hired to find him uh, didn't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. So he saw this Dungeons and Dragons stuff and in his initial report, he heavily focused on this and then this went nationwide. And then eventually the private detective realized realizes Dungeons and Dragons has nothing to do with it. And he finds the student and he, he had run away but this was important in creating like this kind of fear around it and connection to to bad things. It's almost it's almost like the detective linked it to it in the case, and then it was like, oh damn, this has gone too far. I guess D and D is now responsible for this kid disappearing. Yeah, but what was a really important moment was there was this student who committed suicide, unfortunately. And uh, he had mental health issues unconnected to Dungeons and Dragons, but his mother was was very uh, well. She didn't like Dungeons and Dragons anyway, and 
she very much connected his death with Dungeons and Dragons, and she starts this group called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons B A D D, and this is kind of like a very pushing force that even if a lot of people didn't take it seriously, they managed to influence. A lot of people to have a more negative, like especially Christians, they focused on satanic elements of it a lot. They've managed to influence people to have a more negative perception of Dungeons and Dragons. And it's crazy some of the stuff that they were saying. Like she claims that the principal who had been involved in Dungeons and Dragons had put a real hex on her son during <laughs> during it a, uh, a game, but they very much tried to reach out to to parents and framed it as like protecting children kind of thing in this way it, it like it kind of got bigger uh because they weren't trying to reach out to people playing dungeons and dragons they were trying to reach out to parents that played on their fears about like what their child is doing and all that stuff and it, it did have a big effect like the demons and other satanic stuff was removed from dungeons and dragons for a while because of this although it also greatly increased sales because before any of this started happening Dungeons and Dragons was kind of small um, and now it was all over the news quite a bit so lots of people who didn't hear about it heard about it it's kind of what's that phrase I can never remember it the um old press is good press kind of idea yeah um we yeah so with the different kind of I guess Christian fear-mongering elements Tara, you had mentioned some source books that you had found that are really, really interesting that kind of played on that. Yes, yes. Although looking at the content in them, I'm gonna take a wild guess and say this is after they brought the demons back in, just uh, taking a wild guess there. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, got a, got, just got a strange feeling from a, looking at the table of contents, like, uh, there were these two books that were published in the early 2000s, both in third edition, although the second one was published for uh, 3.5. They were the Book of Vile Darkness and the Book of Exalted Deeds, and one may guess from their titles that they are something, shall we say. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, Book of Vile Darkness was basically, it was a rule book for players to try and, to put it simply, make a really edgy storyline. Like it went into uh, stuff regarding like drug use and uh, let me look. Cannibalism, I think, shows up. Really? Yep they I, they do talk about cannibalism at oh, uh, quite early I, I, on. I've tried not to look at it before today because I was really excited to like see all the strange choices that were made while we went hardcore for it. Yeah, they have. Um, in chapter one, the nature of evil, evil in your game, defining evil, evil acts, fetishes and addictions, vile gods, vile races, which is something. Interesting. A chapter, uh, not a chapter, a section about creating villains. And then they go into the different variant rules surrounding possession, sacrifice, curses, disease, and quote unquote, other aspects of evil. Something slightly interesting to note about this book is so um the book of exalted deeds so we may go into that a bit later but to put it shortly it relies on like moral acts that you the character would take like giving charity giving mercy 
but the Book of Vile Darkness, all the evil described in it is kind of implied to come from an outside corruption, like an outside demonic, demonic source of power, which like when put in the context of satanic panic kind of makes like an interesting point there. Kind who of continuing it. Sorry? I was just gonna say like, like who is that outside source of evil in that scene? Yeah. Oh, demons, lots of demons, <laughs> so many demons. We got the, for the prestige classes, which would basically, Connor, you can correct me on this, but were like capstones, like they were the epitome of 3.5, like what you were aiming to do? Uh, pretty much like way kind of characters develop in Dungeons and Dragons. You pick up levels after so many levels, you can specialize with prestige classes, such as uh, these wonderful, wonderful ones. Yeah, we got Cancer Mage, which is a choice. But then we also have stuff like the uh, Disciple of Ismodius, Disciple of uh, Basilbub, uh, Disciple of Dispar, a lot of Disciples of Demons. Other choices include the Thralls of Demons, you know, if you didn't really want to uh, be a Disciple, didn't want to make that type of commitment. <laughs> Whereas in the Book of Exalted Deeds, the prestige classes are stuff like Anointed Knight, Apostle of Peace, like Beloved, Initiates, Skylords. Like it's mostly stuff that, although in some cases it does come from an outside source, the majority of the good is like framed as coming from within the person. It's an interesting kind of 180, yeah. I'm looking through the list there now and there's some things that are standing out to me. Um, one of which is like, kind of the ridiculousness of where some of the this evil is coming from so you have you know your demons and stuff but I'm looking at the other aspects of evil you have evil weather like it's these it's really really stretching it's looking but then there's also you have the horrible there's a section on drugs and poison some really interesting choices so are you saying like that they they were kind of like they because of the satanic panic they were they were making sure that the evil was seen to be coming from outside. Almost like a kind of form of plausible deniability on behalf of the company. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And kind of going off the plausible deniability part, like uh, the president of uh, Paizo, who was um, affiliated with Wizards of the Coast at the time, this was also a company that would later go on to create Pathfinder, which is like kind of a branch off of D&D. His quote, he argued that they should publish the book because in publishing a guide to the atrocities and perversions that put the vile in evil, this would allow the truly heroic characters in contrast to uh, basically to make the other people look better in contrast to those evil people in the corner over there. I kind of, I have a question based off this, and this was something I had mentioned I wanted to ask you guys. Um, there's a section there at the end about like, if you're playing in an evil party, if you're an evil character, what is your opinion on alignment in Dungeons and Dragons? Do you think it's important? Do you think it shapes how you play the characters? Just kind of going off this, this is clearly how to be an evil character, but it's not on you. You're, you know, it's an outside source. So, um, like my experience playing Dungeons and Dragons is mostly with the latest edition, fifth edition, where alignment is generally considered not as 
defining an aspect. And um, like if you go to kind of older editions, it's very much a like almost like physical or metaphysical force, like yeah. in the kind of universe of D and D, and like only certain alignments can be certain classes say like you have to be lawful good to be a paladin just as an example but my personal take on it is i'm like i very much prefer that the more recent uh takes on it that it's more like guidelines uh, in terms of behavior or morality it's not something that's kind of set in stone it's not something that can't be changed something that's like almost like a, a structure that is it, like hemming you into a certain type of behavior i think it's better to kind of view it as something a bit more fluid it's like people's personalities change a huge amount depending on who they're dealing with i think uh, so like you might be very lawful good when you're at a dinner table with your parents but god knows what you're like on a night out for example so uh like my opinion is it's something to very much take with a pinch of salt uh but i know older editions more traditional bnd players would have a stronger emphasis on it okay um i would be the same it's, it's like a suggestion you know yeah like it's it's an idea of how to play your character um the, like the main reason i'm kind of asking is you know getting ready for today i was flicking through the player's handbook again as you do and we had mentioned this um there's different races obviously you can play in DD, and they have suggested alignment to match the races and i you know it's it's interesting it's um an interesting suggestion that these different races in D&D are going to act a certain way simply because of their race and I think with Dungeons and Dragons a massive part of it is yeah sure you have your guidelines you have your your players handbook you have your campaigns whatever but um those are those are outlines those are structures at the end of the day it's kind of you as a player how you engage with that that defines it so I just find it interesting that they're still including those alignment suggestions yeah i'd say that's kind of something that's very much getting outdated uh <laughs> very very rapidly um like in particular there is uh one race in DD that has historically been considered like evil by default uh drow dark elves and it's something that I think they're trying to get away from that. You're trying to kind of recognize the that it's not exactly the best idea to just label uh, a race evil or good or just because like that's expected of them by virtue of their birth almost. Like um, they're very much trying to kind of shift that perspective. Like with more recent books, they've released a, uh, like the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount has the drow presented in a very different, uh, much more kind of, not necessarily wholesome, but like they could be as much a good guy as anyone else, like without any kind of stigma or 
like evil preconceptions or predisposition, which is quite a huge departure in terms of Dungeons and Dragons, like lore publishing. Yeah, something related. I was just taking a look at the UA and there's no like official alignment published for the uh, most recent playtest things. Which is definitely, yeah, uh, there was, I'm, I am getting to a point, I swear. Um, I, I've spoken to you guys as well. Um, I'm doing a lot of reading right now of Curse of Strahd. Um, a little, I guess, one of the more infamous ones because of those sort of semi-problematic or very problematic, I should say, uh, depictions of races and characters in the game. Um, so I, I was interested because there is there is a new um, guide coming out that is touching on the same world that is in Curse of Strad. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Curse of Strad takes all of your gothic stereotypes from traditional literature and it says, hey, let's make it into a D&D campaign. But um, of course, the problem with that is a lot of gothic literature that is central on vampires, that sort of era I guess of writing uh is a little outdated uh to say the least so um I I was interested just kind of in relation to that my own interest self-indulgent I guess um you know just want to see what you were thinking in terms of alignment there good to know that they're trying to get rid of that though in more recent <laughs> you'd hope so we'll see we'll see um, <laughs> yeah like it very much kind of came to light especially uh, last year there was uh, over the summer a bit of an I'm not sure expose is the right word but it very much came to light that like Wizards of the Coast the company behind Dungeons and Dragons like first of all the problematic depictions of race like in Curse of Strad the, the Vistani people who are very very overtly uh, a negative like Romani stereotype typical depiction um, it's addressing that but also the company's kind of wider issue with very much a tendency to employ white writers uh, like white american writers um, and how it kind of shows up their this kind of shortcoming of cultural sensitivity cultural awareness like in another one of the fifth edition, like more recent uh, campaign books, Tomb of Annihilation, it takes place in, in a southern region uh, of the Forgotten Realms and is very much kind of exoticizing. Uh, it's kind of feeding into like an otherness, uh, almost developing on stereotypical depictions of like uh, different African cultures, kind of mixing them together with no real regard as to the kind of source. Um, yeah. No, no, you're dead on. Like it is, like it is something that I guess there's small attempts to better, but um, it's, I think, well, personally, I would say it's only the start if oh, yes, that's definitely very early days but it's something that should be spoken about because these are again a lot of people will be playing fifth edition a lot of people these are you know and a lot of people aren't interested in 
the effort that goes into a homebrew, writing your entire games from scratch. So this is what people are going to. So to be aware of what we're actually looking at is good. Like Curse of Strad was only published 2016, like that, based on older, that just, oh, that will never make sense to me. Um, but yeah, no, there, there are efforts though. You had mentioned the Wild Mount campaign, um, a, an amazing example of the effort that is being made to write a more realistic representation of characters, if you can get that in D&D. There is also, like with Wild Amount, that's a more recent kind of setting uh, that they've just introduced to like the D&D canon, I guess. Another example would be the world of Eberron, which was introduced early 2000s. Kind of a steampunky style world, but uh, traditionally, like they have kind of goblinoid or orc races that would have more traditionally been just labeled by default as evil. But in the more recent uh, publication for fifth edition, they they do uh, make some attempt to kind of rectify that. They do try and make a bit more of a balanced, neutral, like all the different races, all the different peoples of Eberron are kind of capable of good, capable of bad, not necessarily a huge predisposition either way. Uh, which is just a bit of progress on something that's pre-existing as opposed to something uh, freshly made. Yeah, could it be like as the player base grows like more publicly diverse, Wizard of the Coast is realizing like, hey, we can't just keep on with the old guard. Like we actually do need to make efforts. We can't just keep recycling the same stuff over and over again. I think like players go into it and they're, they're looking for an experience that is, of course, like, yeah, you want to escape, you want to, you don't want to be living out your everyday life, but you, you still want there to be a level of representation, like, you still want something, so. Yeah, especially, like, if you're going into these games, and, like, you are coming from this background that you see as then being, I don't know, appropriated, mocked, belittled, like, it's, that, that'd be very hard, I think, to kind of get on board with as a kind of form of escapism. Uh, I feel it'd just be rubbing salt in old wounds almost, like completely unnecessarily. It, it alienates people. And as much as we are talking about a lot of the negatives that there has been, like it's, it's a brilliant community. Like I know myself, I, you know, I'm history committee here, but like gamers, these have always been amazing to get involved with, especially I know like in first year, I went to like one of your one shot nights and I've been playing with those people for like years now. Um, so to alienate people from those communities, like it's it's sad. So it's good that there's something, I guess, being done. Yeah, things are changing slowly. Yeah, like my personal experience, like I didn't really get involved in the gaming community until coming to Trinity. Like I'd always been interested in it, but like I've never, I never actually played D&D until coming here. and. From what I've seen, like gaming culture in general, I'm not talking about Trinity in specific here, but it generally seems to be like about 10 years behind the rest of the quote unquote mainstream, like in terms of like uh, progress. And I'm not just talking about like the people here. I'm also talking about like Wizards of the Coast, for example, like they're not changing until they're forced to be changed. I, I think I had a similar experience. Like I had, I'd play D&D with my sister, uh, like, because she was the person there, I guess. But um, 
obviously different but on that whole 10 years behind thing like I like I play games still and there is always that stress as well as like I was stressed going into that one shot like I'm a woman like you know because you still get a little bit of that like negative unless people are called out for and you know I was pleasantly surprised but um like it still happens and that that's really shit <laughs> but yeah yeah it happens yeah it's about finding good people they're there they are Except there be cautious yeah takes a little bit of searching sometimes but they are there definitely like dungeons and dragons i think it is a kind of fantastic opportunity to make really good friends like to meet new people and it is i think for the most part uh you will find quite a high level of acceptance and welcoming uh people there is still like that kind of remnants of bad gatekeepy vibes i guess and i don't know i think kind of in the modern contemporary day it just doesn't really have the same place it used to like it's losing its legs to stand on and hopefully it'll eventually just kind of collapse uh for good but until then just gotta keep the tables as open and welcoming as possible i guess it is changing it is always a good sign um i wasn't going to go into it but i feel like i don't know i'm curious uh with the whole gatekeeping discussion popular culture uh depictions of DD media i think the obvious one is stranger things do you think they are helping at all like they're bringing more attention i guess to DD as like a hobby would you say they're helping or do they have any influence i'd say like yes and no which is i feel not the best answer for that question but like yes in that it's kind of bringing an awareness of the game to people who previously wouldn't have really known what it was about or never like seen it played never fully understood it i guess like in that sense it's yeah it's kind of bringing a bit more awareness the other thing the no bit i guess like thinking of stranger things it's a bunch of geeky kids playing it a bunch of geeky guys playing it in a basement which is very much kind of like the original stereotypical depiction of dungeons and dragons geeks but i suppose you can kind of see that challenged a bit more recently like with other uh, depictions like there's live streams like uh, critical role uh and other ones uh, uh adventure time yes thank you yes. Um, there are others other than Critical Role. Yes, Acquisitions there, there Incorporated. Swear. <laughs> Acquisitions Incorporated. That was the one I was trying to think of. My bad. Like, there's a couple of other kind of, I suppose, big name celebrities that have kind of come out, like, speaking of their own experience with D&D, how that's either, like, influenced their creative outputs um, or just kind of, like, how they tell stories. Like, uh... John Favreau, the director of Iron Man, one of the showrunners for The Mandalorian, uh, the two main showrunners for Game of Thrones, David Bainoff and D.B. Weiss, um, they very much contribute like early days playing Dungeons and Dragons to their methods of telling stories because it is so open-ended. Um, 
full of possibilities that they were able to draw on that kind of experience. I think kind of going off that as well, I, I'm really interested in looking how literary history has influenced D&D and kind of what comes after that as well. Um, I think we're all aware there are a lot of bad D&D movies, but outside of film, there's been, there had, okay, we, we do need to watch that movie at some point, that, ooh. but um, there's been, there's been some other really cool things, like going back to Stranger, Stranger Things, a game me and my friends love is Dead by Daylight, and they did an expansion pack with Stranger Things, and then I was having my friends who had never played D&D, who were only PC gamer, elite, whatever you want to call them, but um, being like, oh, wait, this is actually really cool and then them getting interested so outside of yeah like your film your tv kind of D slowly well it's been around for a while but kind of those sprinkles into normal gaming on pc gaming other than your tabletop gaming that that is, as well is really really cool <laughs> yeah yeah like there's been a few like specifically dungeons and dragons themed like overtly themed uh, video games, namely the Baldur's Gate series, um, which go back like 20 plus years and uh, and final, finally getting the third installment, hopefully this year. I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> but how those, like I suppose, were very much shaped by D&D, but like you can also see that influence of Dungeons and Dragons in just about any video game. Like, Completely uh regarding like hit points experience points going on an adventure the adventuring party like companions it all kind of can to a large degree be traced back to dungeons and dragons you look at like any game that's really massively like i guess if you wanted to get into it even cyberpunk is, is based on a tabletop like you can kind of you can almost always tie them back it's it's kind of crazy how often they are linked back or even people who love skyrim people love skyrim and it's like it's imagine this but better and there you go that's your that's your D game like it, i think it's just kind of connecting those dots um is where we're lacking but it is it is mad how it's touched on pretty much every game i could think of if I, oh hugely <laughs> just because you did mention bad D D movies uh, there is one in particular which ties back uh, to that, like, satanic panic, uh, which is called, I believe... Monsters and Mazes? Or are you mazes and the Monsters. Book of... Oh, there we go. Uh, which is Tom Hanks's first leading role oh. at the ripe age of 26. Uh, His best, may I say? <laughs> peak peak um, career? All downhill from there? completely feeds into that like satanic panic it's bad for your mental health uh, it, it involves hanks's character uh basically utterly delusional by the end of the movie uh convinced that he is his character that he can fly um and his friends have to basically talk him down uh from nearly killing himself and it's kind of then implied he will forever spend the rest of his life in this delusional state. Um, and that came out in 1982. So peak satanic panic vibes. Um, really reinforcing, uh, I guess, that kind of depiction of Dungeons and Dragons as something dangerous, as something like, oh, it'll mess up your kids. Um, 
it's strange. It's, there's so many aspects of popular culture, like Oshin was mentioning, like music, all of these different aspects that were touched by Satanic Panic. But I feel like so many of them kind of, I guess not if you look at how people, metal music, screamo music, how people receive those. But it's just interesting looking at the ones that were stuck there for so long, for no reason. There, there is nothing wrong. Oh. It's, yeah, they just kind of get stuck. I feel, I also want to say, for anyone listening who is hardcore history um, student, this is relevant. Popular culture, popular culture history, this is all relevant. You know, you can't, you can't be watching Game of Thrones and then not be interested a little bit about D&D history. It all ties in. Because I'm sure there'll be one or two who are diehard, pure history, and this won't match, so. Social history is a thing. Social history is a thing. I say this all the time and it's just social history is history. It, it counts. It's valid. Um, it's only been considered valid for like less time than D&D has been around, I guess. We'll put it like that. So, Jesus. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's painful. Social history, art history. These are all valid forms of history. D&D history, a new academic field we will start. <laughs> Yes. Oh God. <laughs> we'll write to the history history department, see who we can get on board. I mean, some of them are pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Some uh anything else anyone wants to touch on? I or... kinda want to scream about the book of exalted deeds. Please but also, do. It's so wild. It's I, so that wild. is so okay though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, okay. This is yeah, like this is the part of the even... podcast that is just Tara ranting. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna be honest, whoever the fuck's listening, I don't have a big point in this besides just sharing how strange these books are to read. Like the fucking Book of Vile Darkness, wild. Book of Exalted Deeds is a different fucking ball field because like it frames like it was released in conjunction with the book of vile darkness and it was like it defined good like for one it defines it defines what good is which is like a whole philosophical thing but it does this in a single page and it basically narrows down to like altruistic like uh i wrote down events but that's not the right word there like just altruism like that's all it really boils good down to in the end like it defines good as like mercy as forgiveness as all of these things and like they did clarify that D and D good and such is not the same as real world good. Real world good, yep. Yeah, talk, real <laughs> world good. But then they go on to just keep making equivalencies. Like they don't want it to exist in the real world binary. They don't want this to be the real world binary, but they keep trying to adhere to it. Like they keep trying to say, yes, our characters are good. Look, they're doing this. All these exalted deeds. Use the Book of Vile Darkness for your evil NPCs. Like, just straight up. In every press release, they seemingly do not acknowledge the Book of Vile Darkness as something that players can actually use for their own characters. Like, they said, they released and they said, like, hey, we think our players want this, but it didn't seem like they liked that. And I think that really traces back to the same panic, where it's like, we have to keep up this good, like, Christian imagery thereabouts and they try and say like hey it's not religious yeah we're not going to do anything religious but on the first page they do give a heads up and be like hey this book has very heavy judeo-christian and uh gnostic influences and like they talk about relics like 
that is a seriously like medieval Christian thing, the concept of relics, like taking a saint's hand or whatever and being like, this gives me power. Like it is a heavily like Western Christian view of morality going on here and they do not acknowledge it from what I've seen. Also the female pronouns, that's a different topic there. But when they um, use examples of like, hey, yeah, here's the uh, evil that you have to forgive her for. Mercy includes forgiving her for all these acts and such, like this book. I was doing a little bit of reading because we had, we had touched on this prior to recording, we had talked about it a bit. And um, I was doing reading for an essay and one of the books I was reading was Dungeons and Dragons and Philosophy. Um, it's, it's very interesting, but there's some strange takes that reminded me of this. There was like comparisons to like, like um, Plato's cave analogies. And I was like, okay, this is some, like, this is some stretching. And then some really interesting hot takes on morality that were a similar thing. They're like, this is morality in D&D. But again, it was so Christian. And then I noticed as well, and I forgot about it until you mentioned it there. Again, with the her, it, it's always her. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't place, I'm currently working my way through this book. And I'm like, why? why though like it makes no logical sense for this game and i don't know i could completely blanked on that until you mentioned those aspects there with the book with the oh yeah no it's very interesting i we like would highly recommend i've had like a flick through it recommend these pdfs if you can find them anywhere they're they're really wild they have some interesting takes so yeah they are very easily accessed through means, through means. means, you can find them. I promise you that. They're there. If you, if you do a good enough search, they definitely <laughs> exist. Don't even have to look very hard. So go wild, just yeah. as a personal favor, dear stranger, whoever the fuck you are, please don't, please don't <laughs> read them. Like, come on, man, be cool. Yeah, yeah. Another like bit more minor thing is how they try to impose like morality on players even outside the game. Like there's a section in the uh, intro to the Book of Exalted Deeds that like directly tells the dungeon master like, hey, make sure not to punish your players for showing mercy. Like we, we want them to be good. We don't want them to feel like uh, their only choice is to kill people. But like if you were to actually play a game, like you don't fucking trust your prisoners. <laughs> They're going to do something to you. <laughs> they simultaneously recognize how their players play and then ignore it. Like at the end of the day, sure, you're not going to make a character. Well, I don't know. I'm speaking for myself. You're not going to make a character that goes around and like kills everything you see. But also like, if, if, you, if you do, it, it's not because you're the most evil person in existence. Like it's, it's not that deep. Like it, it's not that deep. Just, oh. what our characters do do not reflect us personally <laughs> exactly like, there there is a term murder hobo associated yes. with a certain kind of D character which is just the kind that goes around killing without like remorse just because like oh it's kind of fun to throw fireballs around um yeah murder hobos don't have the best reputation i think uh but we see name, you. It's, it's so catchy. We see you, murder hobos, and we say, please don't. 
please don't. You're hurting everybody. Not just. I mean, it depends on the party. Like, it could be fun. Like, destruction is fun mm. as long as your other like uh, the other people that play at the uh, at the table at the table are okay with it. Like, like not it, not to go too much into my own game, and I don't know. I'm gonna probably tell them to listen. Don't know if they will, but if you are, hi. Um, our party is very split between like we have two very good characters and two very questionable characters. It's the perfect balance though. Like it works, you know, and it's okay to be a little bit more chaotic with it, but you have that balance. And I think, I don't know, this is complete tangent now, a D&D tangent, but um, <laughs> no, it balances itself. So it is weird that they're like, yeah, here's all of these evil suggestions, but they're not for you. Like they, they're for you, but they're not for you though. So D&D yeah. &D requires like a lot of talking and making sure that people are yes. comfortable with whatever you're doing and like my characters have the habit of going off and doing their own thing but I try and tell the other people at the table like hey if this actually does bother you out of character tell me I won't do it I'll rationalize it out like you can't just go off and do shit you got to make sure it's cool with everyone it does go back to what we were saying before though about you know there are improvements being made. Maybe not all of them are by wizards. Like the, some of them are by the players, and that that is important too. I think it's as a game, it it is kind of a bit of give and take. You're, you're supplied with your outlines and your rules and stuff, but it's what the players do with them. In my in my opinion, that makes the biggest difference. So like stuff like this, it is going towards that, making it a better experience for everyone, I guess. Um, just to validate our little ramble that went, you know, it, it is still still valid. Came full circle, all part of the plan. Like just kind of going off the that kind of discussion of ground rules, I guess. I'm just going to shamelessly plug uh, DU Gamers multi-table campaign we had this year. Convergence Tara was one of the wonderful GMs for it. Uh, and like we very much had that kind of tight ship we wanted it to be as accessible as possible for as many people as possible and um, because dnd at the end of, at the end of the day it's a great game and like it's a great kind of collaborative storytelling experience and we want it to be open to as many people as possible we don't want to kind of have edgy uh dark topics that might make people uncomfortable um yeah, I just wanted to shamelessly plug uh, that. <laughs> you guys have yeah. done an amazing job this year. You had some some crazy numbers, didn't you? Oh, God, there were so yeah. much. There were so much. Like, I wasn't supposed to be a DM, but then we had to, like, call in multiple reinforcements. And also, kind of going off what Connor said around, like, running a type ship, like, for example, necromancy. Mm -hmm. In the convergent setting, necromancy was evil. Like, just... It was arbitrarily decided that it was evil. Necromancy was not allowed in the game. Morality! <laughs> yeah, no, like... But but for real, though, you, you, as a society, you do a really good job, I think, anyway, of making sure a lot of people can get involved. I know, I won't name him, <laughs> but um, one of the guys in my group, he was playing last year with your year-long campaign and every time we met up he's like oh my god and it was always you know so positive like it is a really positive part of a lot of people's experience and yeah just he's he's done a really good job and I think it's a brilliant example of how D&D &D, it, it it can be accessible it can 
anyone can play this game. It's it's not something just for guys. It's not something just for this one secluded, edgy group of people sitting in the corner. Like that that doesn't that isn't a, it isn't really like it's a thing sometimes, but generally, it's not a thing. If you want to play D and D, play D and D. You'll find people. You will find people. Like yeah, I'd absolutely say it's probably more accessible than ever. Like you can find groups online to play with. Uh, like there's different kind of meetup groups for it. Um, you can find the rules, the basic rules online for free. Uh, you literally just need like paper and pencil uh, and some dice, which usually you can borrow off a friend. Uh, so it, it is very much like, I think, as accessible as it has ever been, um, which is very much a good thing. So I think that's it for this week's episode of Many Moons Ago. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter at DU History, the same on Facebook, same on Instagram. Um, and I just want to say thank you to Connor and Tara for joining us today. Um, do you want to plug your, your social media bits? Anything else? Uh, yeah. Um, so on Facebook, we're DU Gamer Society. Uh, again, also just Thank you for having us. Uh, was a delight. Yes, and on Instagram we are du period gamers. And O'Connor said, "Thank you so much for having us on." 